I'm talking about the rework of work. You know, if you were to put a car door on in manufacturing, you put it on one time, every time. You can't put a car door on, take it off and see if you did it right. And then have somebody else put it back on. And then the next person take it off to see if that person did it right. Put it back on. The next person take it off, put it back on to see if that person do it five, six times. You'd never be able to afford a car. There's so much room and opportunity. And that's why FinTech and some of these other companies are looking for it. And guess what? Some are going to fail and we're going to cheer when they fail. And you watch it. Yeah, ha, ha, ha. They tried and they failed. You know what they're looking at? It's part of the process. And they come back and they're going to do it again. And they're going to do it again. And they're going to failure a little bit better, do it again, a little bit better, do it again. And then they're going to figure it out. Hey folks, we are back for another episode of the housing news podcast. This is Clayton Collins, the CEO at HW media. And today I'm joined by a really special guest, Renee Rodriguez. I met Renee for the first time just over a year ago at his Amplify event here in, in Dallas, Texas is such a, a fabulous three-day event that helped professionals better tell their stories and be more impactful leaders. Renee has been helping leaders tell stories and get their message across, across the housing industry and a lot of other uh, companies in manufacturing and industrial segments, really helping rising leaders and, and corporate executives be as effective as they possibly can be through events, seminars, coaching, and a book that's coming out. But now we're, we're really excited for Renee's AmpCon event, which is coming up in just a few weeks, March 14th at Caesars Palace in Las Vegas. This is an exclusive pre-conference event for Momentum Builder 2022. You should check out both of these and, uh, and visit them in Las Vegas. Hope you enjoy the episode. Good morning, Renee. Good, good morning, man. So I've seen this studio that you work in from, from videos that you've shared and some of your content. I'm, I'm excited to actually be on the, on the other end of the microphone today. And this, this pretty <laughs> awesome setup that you've built in your, in your home office. Yeah, it's fun. It, you know, it's, it's, I think it comes down to the embracing of the new world that we're in. And I've been telling a lot of my clients that you have to stop thinking about your desk as your desk and you have to start blurring the line between studio and work. And if you can think about it from that perspective, you minimize the friction. And so we just said, let's make it the most usable space that can be one touch recording, lights and cameras, everything kind of ready to go. The same way that you open up a laptop and it works, why not just open up your studio and the cameras work too? I mean, that's a concept that for, for many of us in the financial services and mortgage industry, that's a, that's a tough one to wrap your head around. I mean, I'm still, you know, we're two years in, in this, in this pandemic era. And, uh, I, I still have executives that I talk to who are struggling with zoom and, um, and haven't figured out the, the right adapter to get their microphone plugged into their computer. What, what really propelled you to embracing technology and, and getting this figured out and did you get it all figured out on your own? Well, I mean, I always tell people, I said, you could do a root canal on yourself if you wanted to. But why? You just go to a dentist. <laughs> and so I had to find somebody who was who knew what they were doing. And we have to there's there's underutilized talent in this world for this stuff. Especially because the people that know how to do it stop they, they 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 lost their jobs too. They lost their clients because they were used to working with talent, quote unquote talent, people that were actors and when that work went away, they didn't know who to film. And I said, You have to think about the new talent is the executive. It's the sales professional. It's the 
the the service professional that has to work with new clients and they have to be able to to be able to build trust and and so it took a mind shift on their part as well to start seeing their client differently and it's it's thinking about and it required them to start thinking from a business perspective to say okay well what does trust mean and well trust is about being able to see the eyes like why is why is lighting so important well i can see your eyes like last night we 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 had um we're doing one of our Amplified virtual events, and we had 10 people from Singapore, Shanghai, uh, one that was from New Zealand, and in my studio, we had former president of Cargill sitting here next to me, and so he's observing the whole thing. They're global strategy leader. Cargill's the largest privately held company in the world, so you can imagine sort of the eyes on the event. This is our fifth one that we're doing, and <clears throat> teaching them. Our first session is what we call C-A-L-L, call upgrade, and this is from the guy who built my studio, Ryan Grams, and you know, we look at camera, audio, lighting, location. And when we first started this, they said, Renee, well, let's, let's get past the technology and then let's get into the influence, you know, leadership stuff. I said, okay, sure. And we go into, and, and he looks at me, he's like, what? I'm like, yeah, no, it's really one of the things you have to, and he looks at me and he goes, all right, fine. And the point is, if your tech doesn't work in this world, the meeting's over. I go as much as I hate it too. If if you're in a if you're on a call and you go through the mountains, and the mountains have no signal, it doesn't matter how good your message is. No one's hearing it, and so this world thrusted on us the need to understand internet connection, the need to understand cameras, and how cameras go over the internet. And then now we look like crap on camera because we don't have proper lighting. So we think, well, let's get a bit of camera. Camera doesn't matter. It's lighting. And then if we don't have the proper microphone or don't know where to put put it then we sound even worse and so and i hate saying this word because it was i mean it's a word that we've used since the 80s paradigm it's a way of thinking the eyes of which we view the world the paradigm really had to shift in terms of how we look at things and that is something that is always resisted by people so we're recording pretty early this morning because i have a a 10 a.m flight and got to get on the road and i think you have some travel later this week how does this learning of communicating in a virtual world change stick around go to the wayside as we all hop back on planes and start whining and dining and shaking hands and all the things that we did pre-march 2020 I have two bags sitting there behind me. And the first bag is a mobile studio. And it sits in a box, a Pelican case. It has a camera, two lights, microphones, all the plugs, everything. So I get to my, I have to continue these events. And so what we found out is if we could leverage hotel time, and if we could literally put it into one case, we could still be just as high quality. And the other bag is a podcast studio. It has the mixer, it has two microphones, the same exact mic I'm speaking into right now. It has the ATEM Mini. It has the recording device. And it has everything all there, all the stands and everything in two little bags. And so for me, as somebody that, that requires good quality content, I have to travel with it. Now, for the executive, you don't need that. A good Mac, a good PC microphone is good, right? A good headset is great. And then the use of a window or, a, you know, a four by six, LED light that you travel with that is, you know, 60 bucks and then you're great. But, you know, just a little, uh, self-awareness around how you look. Now all of a sudden you show up correctly, a little positioning of the camera. So you don't look the camera's not shooting up your nostrils and you know, it's, there's those little pieces that 
really help you show up more professionally because whether you like it or not, people are judging how you show up the same way. If you were in person, if you show up in your shirts, untucked and wrinkled, people are going to make a judgment of that versus if you show up in a crisp suit or a crisp outfit and whatever's appropriate for this, for the occasion, it's a natural, uh, human thing to have an opinion about that whether conscious or unconscious. So Renee, as you talk about having two central technology go bags packed at all time, I think we can kind of start to tell that you are a, not a man that sits idle. So why don't we take this opportunity for you to tell us a little bit about how you choose to spend your professional time, the, the business and the, the experiences that you are building um, with your professional expertise. How I choose, uh, so what, what office or like services, how we serve clients, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Tell us about Valentum. Tell us about Amplify. Sure. I want to want to hear about the business you're building today. So we look at ourselves as a company that helps uh, good messages come to life, right? We, we help leaders and people understand that influence is a science that can be learned and influence requires a new level of self-awareness over things that maybe they didn't realize. It's not about being an influencer, meaning like social media. That's a whole nother different arena. That's not something that, that, that I have honestly any interest in it's it's this is about creating influence as a leader. How do you drive behavior? How do you drive action? How do you set the tone of, of a room? How do you uh, cast a vision and have an entire company follow? How do you deliver bad news in a way that doesn't shut down your organization rather builds trust and, and s speeds the, the level or increases the level of authenticity. Those are the things that we're, we try to do. And that requires people to understand that you're communicating with your body first, right? Light travels faster than sound. So if you're going to see me before you hear me and that the way you stand, the way you talk matters, the way you uh, position your hands for some odd reason matters, you know, how your toes are pointed matters. These are things that we've studied for years and they all matter. And of course they're resisted at first until we show people, Oh, well, well look at this person that you admire. Look at what they're doing. And then look at the person that you're not respecting and look at what they're doing. And they see, oh my God, I didn't realize the difference. And then we show them video of themselves and making those minor adjustments. And they see the, the difference. And they say, well, it doesn't feel comfortable. I said, well, the right grip on a golf club at first probably doesn't feel comfortable. Right? The right proper form shooting basketball probably doesn't feel comfortable. The first time you held a pen probably didn't feel comfortable. And so these are all skills that we need to learn. And so it, comfort isn't the goal at first because that's growth. We, we did, um, we have a partnership that we did with, um, um, a business school in, in Italy with the co-founder of the neuro leadership Institute. And in his school, he's a scientist and doctor, uh, and fanatic around neuroscience and they're licensing our, our amplify course. But in his school, he's got a bike that is, they call the backwards bicycle. And so, He'll bet all these executives, he gets executives from Ernst and Young and Cargill and 3M and from the biggest organizations in the world to travel out to take MBA classes from him. And he'll bet them, you know, hundred euros, a thousand euros. He goes, that you cannot ride this bike. And they all take the bet and they all lose. And the reason is, is when you turn right, the bike goes left. And what it's illustrating is how many the, the neural pathways that we've, that we've created for riding a bike are just not there in the how the body just doesn't do it. It takes about six weeks for you to create the new pathways. And when you do that and you flip the bike backwards to normal, you have just as hard a time going back to the other way. 
And so it takes another adjustment period to go back. And But what's fascinating, though, is the level of frustration, the level of frustration that's happening in trying to learn this new way. And they, they put people on there and they're measuring heart rate and heart rate variability. So it's very scientifically based. Mm-hmm. But the fascinating piece, and the reason why I'm telling you, here's your tie down, is he can, he can flip a switch in the bike that turns the bike to ride normally. When people are frustrated at their peak, he flips it to ride normally. The rush of positive emotion that happens when it goes back to quote unquote normal is fascinating. And what it tells us is, is that we're biologically trained to not go through the growth process because we're growing when, when, when the bike's backwards, but our body's saying, don't do that. We're going to reward you for staying the same. And so we have to learn to fight that. So what are some of the, the methods that, uh, amplify and this professor at the, the MBA program in Italy are teaching to combat our, our neuro like trained reactions that we want to stay, stay the same way and don't, and don't want to change and don't want to learn what, what, what's the next step once you realize how difficult it is to change learned behavior? Well, it's a battle between two parts of the brain called system one and system two. And our system one is a, is an automatic part of our brain. It, it doesn't, it doesn't require much thinking. You know, when you walk throughout the day and you navigate, not hitting a chair, stubbing your toe, in, in doing things, it's a very unconscious process. And then when I say unconscious, it's not something you put mental effort into. And when you get really good at something, you're, you, you develop a system one response. System one can also be you know, a very uh, stress-based uh, reactive response. And so the, the, the movement away from that system one and moving into what we call system two, which is a more methodical, slower, more human way of doing things, requires a lot of mental effort. And so the battle between those two parts of the brain is difficult. And system one, or system two is a slave to system one. And so Navy SEALs are trained in this, this, the battle between the two because they live in a system one world where people are trying to kill them. And their enemy is in system one, frantically running around, shooting their guns with no precision. And, and SEALs are, are, uh, pride themselves in operating out of system two, methodical. They say slow is steady and steady is fast. Slow is steady and steady is fast. And they train for that. And so they operate out of system two while everyone is a system one. And they'll tell you that the bridge between those two is breathing because you're managing the the stress response or the resistance response to change. It's no different in business. Right now, this industry is going through massive amounts of change and some are embracing it, but most are resisting it. Your competitive advantage right now is going to become how nimble you can be through the change process. And here's the thing. This industry has enabled no change because of the massive amounts of, of money and the margins that you could make so many mistakes, be so extremely inefficient and still make thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. And I don't say inefficient from a, from a judgment standpoint. I'm talking about the rework of work. I'm talking about just rework. You know, if you were to put a car door on in manufacturing, mm-hmm. you put it on one time, the first time, every time. You can't put a car door on, take it off and see if you did it right. And then have somebody else put it back on. And then the next person take it off to see if that person did it right. Put it back on. The next person take it off, put it back on to see if that person do it five, six times. You'd never be able to afford a car. But how many times do you check over a 1003? <laughs> it's it, that, that's the level of thinking, you know, and what is it? $2,100 to manufacture a car, but $2,400 manufacture a loan. And then to what? 1995, 30 day turn times. 
with all the new technology that we're spending on, still 30-day turn times in 2022. So there's room, and there's and as people say it hasn't changed. Okay, that's the truth, but that also means there's so much room and opportunity to be able to do that. And that's why FinTech and some of these other companies are looking for it. And guess what? Some are going to fail, and we're going to cheer when they fail. And you watch it, yeah, ha, 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 they tried and they failed. You know what they're looking at? That's part of the process. And they come back and they're going to do it again. And they're going to do it again. And they're going to fail, get a little bit better, do it again. A little bit better, do it again. And then they're going to figure it out. The same way, that's just called evolution. So, Renee, you introduced your work talking about working with executives and professionals on improving their their influence and amplifying their messaging and voice. Um, that's not all that you've done your background though, you're talking about the mortgage industry right now. Tell us a little about, a little bit about your history and your experience in the mortgage land, um, to bring a little credibility to your, your messaging in the, in the housing world. So my, uh, my background is in behavioral neuroscience and I started off, uh, went to school for that and sold cookware door to door for four years throughout school. So that's where my, sort of my passion for hardcore sales came through and went to school for a change man. I went to work for a change management consulting firm that dealt with um, massive scale culture change using brain research as sort of the backdrop. And so we took on huge scale, huge opportunities, like massive scale um, uh, manufacturing clients that, you know, some of the largest, you know, the DuPonts and international papers and uh, the 3Ms and, you know, you, you name it. And I looked at that and after 9-11, uh, we lost a huge client and it required me to sort of look and say, okay, well, I might need to go sell something. That was what I always learned. You know, uh, my, my mentor at 18 said, if, if you learn how to sell, you'll always be employed. We lost this big client. And I said, well, I might, I called my buddy and I said, I might need to sell these, this mortgage thing for a while. And he started laughing. He goes, we would love to have you. And I was like, I don't even understand what this is. And I walked in and I said, show me your sales order. And he's like, sales order. I'm like, yeah, how do you, how do you sell what your, what a mortgage is? And I really didn't even understand. It. I knew it was a loan, but I didn't understand it. He goes, he goes, Oh, let me show you the sheet. And he pulls out this thing. It had a thousand and three pages. I'm like, why do you need a thousand and three pages? He goes, no, 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 no. It's called a 1003. I'm like, <laughs> Oh, well, whatever I go. That's, that's fine. Well, give me, give me a stack of them. And I pulled out a sheet protector and I said, just here's a highlighter. I go, I need you to highlight what you need filled out. He goes, you don't want me to train you on it. And I'm like, why? I go, did you just need a few things filled out? He goes, yeah, this is 2002. 2001, 2002. And I go, all right. He fills it out, put them in the sheet protector. I grab a stack and, I'm, and I go out. I come back the next day with nine of them filled out. He's like, what the hell did you do? I'm like, just ask people. He goes, what'd you say? I go, hey, if I can save you money on your mortgage, do you want to do it? They said, yeah. I said, great. I don't know what I'm doing, but I got this great team. If you fill out the parts in yellow here, um, they'll tell you if you can save money or not. And he started laughing and he goes, all right, well, let's price your loan. I'm like, what do you mean price my loan? You can choose the interest rate? I thought that was like set by bank rate or something. And he started laughing. I mean, but it shows you sort of how people think. And he pulls out and goes to the fax machine. Remember those? This, this legal-sized document with a million numbers on it and points. And I, my brain started to hurt. I'm like, what is that? He goes, well, let's, let's choose your rate. And let's uh, pulls one out. It says $978,000. It's like, okay, I didn't really know what that meant just had a you know buddy had a nice house and he goes all right well let's uh price this one at nine uh 2.75 on the back i'm like what are you 2.75 percent and he's like yeah and i'm like you lied to me you said you're gonna pay me 80 percent commission <laughs> it's uh don't it's clearly don't understand the process and i started getting angry with them and i said i knew you were gonna 
you know, play me. And he said, Renee, calm down, pull out your calculator. I pull out, reluctantly pull out my calculator. He goes, take $975,000. And we're going to do a 1% origination fee on the front and 2.75% on the back. That's 3.75%. And so we're going to multiply that by $975,000. And I'm like, yeah, okay. And, and he goes, 80% of that number. And I hit equals and I saw the number and I'm like, you're going to pay me that amount of money to fill out that one sheet and those four, four, four sheets. He said, welcome to the mortgage industry. And it was then that I really realized I'm like, okay, this is some, this is way too easy. And at the time, obviously there was no barrier to entry and you had, you had to spend more time and energy and money to become, to cut hair and to get licensed, cut hair at the time than you did to be in the mortgage industry. So it, it attracted people that were, Hustlers, right? And people that could work hard. I say hustler, people that could work hard, but didn't have any sense of ethic. They weren't trained as managers, which there was two sides to that. One, it created great opportunity for people that really weren't good at school. I wasn't good at school, right? But they were great with people and they could work hard and they could see opportunity. So it was really entrepreneurial in that sense, right? So the, the no barrier to entry, but, it, but what it did is it, it, the mortgage industry also played on human behavior with the lack of regulation, it incentivized people to sell things. And in that moment, we can look at the psychology behind it. Nobody was trying to hurt anyone. People were doing what they were paid to do with the assumption that this was legal and okay. And now there were some people that were smart and astute that said, I don't do the subprime loans, but it led us down that path. And we watched that whole thing sort of come to life. I, I originated a few for a couple of weeks and I said, you know what, this, this is, I don't like this, but I go, you've got, 60 people, why don't we train them how to sell? Because they clearly, none of them know how to sell. They're just order taking. And so we put together uh, 27 training pro, uh, classes that, that year that I did. And about three classes in, they started saying, can we show this to our realtors? I'm like, oh, that makes sense. So I started doing weekly realtor classes and realtor trainings. And I said, and then I became a partner of the company. So I said, now I'm owning a mortgage company. And long story short, we went, grew from five, three, four people the first session to six months, a hundred plus standing room only every two weeks. And we had to literally break out a wall. And then all of a sudden, um, you know, I'm, this guy flies me out to Los, Los Angeles and introduces me to Tim Brahim and Tim Brahim uh, gets me into loan toolbox. And then, you know, that kind of story took off there. Such a fascinating background and very cool how you organically, discovered the path to, to teaching and creating training programs to empower other sales professionals to be more successful. And ultimately in that scenario, help you and your partners build a formidable mortgage lending business. Yeah. And what we were trying to do was cause I, cause I, you know, I'm a salesman. And so I'm like, where's the clothes? Like, cause I, you know, when you sell cookware, you know, the clothes, cause your heart rate goes up, you're pulling out the, the small, medium and large set. You're about to ask them for 2,500 bucks or 5,000 or 1250 and you, you, that's a close. And I'm like, where is it in this mortgage process? There's no moment like that. And I'm like, so we had to create one. I had to create a milestone. I'm like, okay, so since you guys don't know how to sell, I'm every Wednesday at 1145, I'm going to do a lunch. We went to Costco and we spent $24 and we got those half sandwiches and we put them in the middle. I said, your job is to get as many realtors in here as you can every week. I'll do the presentation. And over the weeks, you're going to learn this presentation, and then you're going to start delivering it on your own. And if you don't like to, you just bring them here. So we gave them an activity. Go sell this meeting. And 
if we can get them to sell this meeting, we can at least take that next step. But we're trying to create some level, some semblance of a sales process instead of just a lot of crazy activity that somehow led to something accidentally. I think some organizations have adopted your enthusiasm for a process and others are just listening to your anecdote about 2001 and rem- reminiscing about the good old days when they got paid for, yeah. for filling in uh, some highlighted fields and um, in the process stopped there. I, uh, they, you mentioned the closing times in the beginning, and uh, I think a lot of mortgage professionals will, will hear your experience from 20 years ago and um, just shake their head and say, it's not like that anymore. It's not like that anymore. No, it's definitely not. It definitely not. It's, it has really become a profession and it is, I watch the true mortgage professional in conversation with financial advisors in conversation with investment bankers and, and how a little people understand mortgage math and mortgage process. It is truly a very unique thing. And it's sad that it's not something when you look at career selection in the drop down, if you look at um, well, what industry are you in? There isn't mortgage in there and it's not recognized in the sort of the normal categories. And it is, it's something that is extremely, uh, needed number one, and it's very unique. And I think we need to do something to fix that. So your background in mortgage has helped you bridge your amplify business into really serving and helping a lot of housing professionals. And I know that I've been aware of you for for many years now, but you and I first met in person about a year and a half ago when I when I joined your Amplify program here in Dallas, um, which was you know relatively early months during COVID, and I half of myself was like, why am I in this room with ten other people <laughs> without a mask on, communicating for for three whole days? And the other half of me like came out on on Sunday saying that was an incredible incredibly good investment of time and the right way to spend my time and my energy um, that weekend. But I was surrounded in the room by, I think, probably 10 mortgage professionals, two real estate professionals, and and myself, the mortgage media guy, another career that does not have a drop down in the career services um, uh, drop box there. But so you're obviously attracting a lot of people from the housing industry to your programs what are the topics or what are the draws that mortgage professionals, mortgage origination executives are coming to you for? What are the topics that they're interested in and and why are, is amplify the solution to that? For executives, it really is right now about retention of talent and attraction of talent. It's really the number one driver right now. Okay. So let's, 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 let's go deeper there. So, so, what about Amplify? What about influence helps executives attract and retain? How are they leveraging the skills that you teach to attract and retain? So let's go back to understanding why people join a company and why people leave a company. We've all can think about managers that we've worked for that we loved and the loyalty we felt that they helped us grow. They cared about us. They gave us opportunities. They made us feel successful. They made us feel like we mattered. Our ideas contributed. We had impact. In the moment a recruiter called us, we laughed and we probably forwarded the email and they say, can you believe these people? And it just went in one ear, not the other. And it it had zero impact. And even if they offered money, it didn't matter. We knew, and we've all had that experience. And we've also all had the experience where we work for somebody, could be a great company. And we're, 
constantly, we're waiting for the moment to get out. We don't like our manager, our supervisor. We don't get along. They don't listen. They don't offer any value. We ask for help and they're not there. And maybe they're just passive and they're just like, they just, they're just there. And so somebody calls and we're like, sure, I'll listen. They're like, yeah, hey, are you looking? I'm like, oh, I'm happy, but you know, I'm always listening. And that's the person that's kind of passively there, not engaged. And then there's actively disengaged where people are like, tell me what's going on. I get calls every week. Renee, do you know anybody? What companies do you trust? What's happening here? How, what do you think of this people? What do you think here? And those, that all comes down to, do I feel valued in the organization? Do I trust my supervisor? Can I speak the truth? Do I feel like, uh, they, like they're being honest with me? This word transparency is used a lot in this industry and has been abused. And so there's a real transparency that's going to be coming soon. And companies need to really take a look at what that means and ask themselves, do I want transparency to be defined by somebody else or do I want to define it? And it's, it's just the reality. I've, I told CEOs of some of the largest mortgage companies in the country. And I said, I know people that absolutely love you, CEO, and that are ready and right now in the process of leaving you. And I know people that despise you, CEO, that would never leave you because they love their supervisor and their branch manager and their regional. And they looked and they start, they start laughing. They go, you know what? Makes sense. I said, unfortunately, it's not about you. It's about your ability to find the right regionals. If you even have regionals, because that's, that's an interesting position right now, uh, to find the right branch managers and to find the right supervisory talent and support so that people can do that. And so it's a whole another topic around leadership brand that we should talk about because that to me is, I think is the solution, but can they find the right talent? Can they invest in helping them stay um, and helping them do that? Because there's no way the CEO, I mean, how many times have you, you, you know, the CEO that's calling the branch managers and calling the people say, Hey, what's going on? And they've, you know, they, they can do that if you got five, 10, 15, maybe 20, but how many can you actually build a solid relationship with? Yeah, and we start talking about national independent mortgage banks with 3,000 originators and uh, some that have come in through acquisition, others that have come through recruiting recruiting a regional or divisional head who brought their originators along with them. It seems to be every big IMB has this subcategory of originator, the, the OGs that have been around since the early days and have a super tight tie-in with the, the CEO, with the folks um, that are at headquarters. And uh, there's always a culture in mortgage banking in all industries that re revolves around the headquarters. But then you have these distributed teams who have to somehow figure out what the corporate culture is and how they're going to, how they're going to fit into it. Um, how are you helping executives define that corporate brand and then activate it and activate it out there? So these uh, originators and divisional leads who might only visit headquarters once every 12 months really grasp what the organization values and gets a, gets a glimpse into that transparency that's really necessary to building trust. Well, I think the corporate brand is different than the leadership brand, right? Because you've got great corporate brands out there some amazing corporate brands and some poor leadership brands that represent them. And it's a leadership brand that to me is what matters in the, in retention. Uh, good friend, Richard Milligan, uh, for a company called four C 
we've had this conversation that the, the best recruiters are the ones with the best personal brands. And so there's a lot of them that have personal brands where they talk about, you know, personal branding. But I think that in, I think there's another caveat to that because a lot of times we think about personal branding as a sales and marketing tool, right? I'm using my personal brand to sell, but let's talk about <clears throat> this concept called narrative gap, right? So for the last probably six months, I've asked on every stage, how many of you see your regional, let's say, um, uh, 10 times a year and no hands go up, um, five times a year, two, three hands go up, smaller organizations, three times a year, few more hands go up two times a year, few more, one time a year, a lot more, zero, a lot of hands I said, okay, so let's take a look at that. So up 30 years ago, took a little history. Most people died close to where they worked. That's how it was. The promise of employment back in the day was lifetime employment. We will employ you for life. Here's your golden hand, here's your golden parachute, here's your 401k, we'll contribute to it. I mean, there's all sorts of things that will vest you in stock and we're gonna keep you for life. And most people sort of follow that path and will employ you for the rest of your life. That's not the case anymore. Enter technology. Technology allows us to change, but prior to that, if, if I wanted to, if let's say Clayton, I worked for you. Uh, I saw you throughout the day. I saw you often. And if I went to the grocery store, you went to the same one. If we went to get haircuts when I had hair, uh, we went to probably the same barber. Uh, baseball games, you were there. You might even be coaching my kids. And there, we were part of a community. And so I saw you multiple times in multiple scenarios. What that means is I, I knew who you were and when I say were facially, from a from a, a facial expressions, like when you're upset, I know what that meant. I could see you in a personal environment, so I could see the full gamut of understanding. When you get angry, sad, all I could see all of those things, so I know what they mean. And so now, technology allows us to manage three, four, five states through other, you know just just do travel and work and uh, 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 collaborative. Um, technology, CRM, all that sort of stuff allows us to do that. We can monitor things and, but I don't see you as often. And so I don't know who you are. I don't have that connection with you. So I'm assuming that the people that I see, those facial expressions apply to you when I meet you, but I probably misread all of them. And so now somebody calls me, I don't know who you are. Somebody calls me to recruit me. I don't feel a connection to you. I may like you, you're cool, but I don't feel connected. There's no sense of um, leaving you high and dry. You ever feel that sense of loyalty? Like, no, I can't, I can't leave Clayton that way. I can't do him that way. And I was like, you know, it was like, you know, Clayton's cool, but like, I, don't, I, don't, I haven't talked to him in like four or five months. He's busy, but he's super nice. I mean, I feel bad, but man, this, this company sounds really exciting because we're looking for that connection. That's part of the human process. And so now how do we solve for that in today's world? And this is where we go into the concept of leadership brand. What do you believe? And how do you tell the world what you believe? And, and you look at the use of technology for that and say, you've got some of the best, I met somebody, uh, Brian Covey, uh, if you know who Brian Covey is. Yeah, Lone Depot. Lone, Depot. Lone Depot. And we started, uh, he signed up for Amplify pre-pandemic, was gonna go, pandemic happened, Lone Depot shut everything down and nobody could travel. And he came two years later. And when we met, we went to dinner that night and we're like, dude, it's, well, can you believe this is the first time we met? 
And he's like, we haven't met before. I'm like, no, I go, it feels like we've met. He's like, and he stops and he's like, oh my gosh, this is our first time. I go, I know, isn't that wild? And I go, and the reason is, is because of his leadership brand and what he puts out there. You know what he's thinking. His posts are every single day. You know, it's all, he's on LinkedIn. He's on so all of it, but they're not, it's not from a brand, like a selling perspective. He's talking about what he believes about leadership. He's talking about what he believes. You, you know that he plays soccer. He was a former soccer player, professional soccer player. All those things are out there. And when you meet somebody, it's like, God, I feel like I know you so well. I was on a phone call yesterday. Somebody got on and sent me a text and like, you know, we'd, I'd love to connect. And I was like, you know, I was not here. I'm like, well, just call me. And she gets on Zoom. She's like, God, I, I feel like I know you because I follow your podcast. I, I, I read this and I see you on here and I see you on there. And so there's a, there's a sense that technology can be used to bridge that gap if it's used properly. And so the narrative gap has to be filled somehow. And if we don't fill it as leaders, they'll fill it themselves, just like the frame, right? We don't do well with gaps. We have to fill it with assumption. And we don't know what that assumption is going to be. So, so I tell people, understand your, your leadership brand. So I, I don't think Brian will mind this, but let's let's dissect him for a second. Uh, I know I know Brian uh, fairly well, or at least I feel like I do because of his strong presence and uh, position in the industry. Uh, but but Brian, I think, does a, an expert job at showing multiple dimensions of his life and his his yeah. social media presence is, is, is pretty family heavy. And I'm not on TikTok, but I hear from Brendan Nath on our team here at Housing Wire that he also has some killer TikTok videos, which show just a totally different side of him than many mortgage executives show in their, in their, in the professional world. How do you think, is that like expert level influence when you start to show all parts of your, of your being in life and don't try to put up that wall Hey, I'm just the a suit and a tie who who talks about um, mortgage rates all day long, and uh, and not and my family is completely walled off and over here. Or like, how do you think about leadership brand as being multi dimensional? You know, I and I always tell people, you know, stay in stay in your lane when you talk about things. And, and social media, you know, some people think I'm really good at it. I'm not. I don't consider myself an expert. I I have people that I turn to for that, and so I'll talk to what I what I know and my experience of it. I I think that. Brian has embraced today's world and he's embraced it well. I think he's very confident in who he is and I think he's got good advisors around him, people that really, really help him understand that. And he's also, he's an implementer, right? It shows that he sees a good thing and he, he goes, okay, what team do I need to get around me and how do I learn this? And he's also adaptable to change. And those are the, those are the traits. And so he, he, he's very clear on the things and his values. His family is number one. And he'll tell you the story. His family is number one. And he wants to be a high-producing, high-performing executive that also has strong family ties. And so that's his leadership brand, that he can be massively successful at, at work and massively successful at home. And so he lives that. And you know, we, I invite him to an event. He's like, uh, you know what, let me call the wife. I promised her we'd do this. And he has said no to some really big opportunities because family was first. I was going to put him on stage at AmpCon. And he's like, you know what, I'm, we're going to be in Florida and my flight would require me to leave a little earlier and I want to be there for my girls. And I'm like, you know, that's awesome. So he lives it authentically. And so he's just shining a light on it. I, you know, like for me personally, I have a hard time doing that. Like, honestly, like we just built a studio and I have a chair sitting over there 
that is just for reels and TikTok, and the cameras turn sideways and I'm getting coached on how to just talk, right? And not be polished and not have sort of an agenda in terms of a, a key message I'm trying to deliver. And, you know, part of me, it's, you know, I think it's part of the era that I grew up in is you don't hold a camera for yourself. You don't take selfies because to our era, if you take selfies, that means you're alone. You don't have community around you. It should be somebody around to take a photo for you. You're with friends. And that's an old mentality that probably holds me back. And so those are the paradigms that we have to shift, right? I, I talk about them because I, I analyze them within myself too and to say, okay. And so then on top of that too, you have to say, okay, how do you structure a video? I work with a, a good friend of mine, Neil Dingra, who's uh, is hashtag is Neil Home. And he, he and I were doing a case study for AmpCon where uh, I said, okay, Neil, I said, we're going to do something. I go, here's, I go, I got some of the highest quality videos out there that get no views. And when I say no, it's relative, you know, we'll get a thousand or something like that, but he's getting millions, millions. And he, and I said, we're going to do a case study. I go, I'm going to follow exactly what you say. And we're going to, so we, so two nights ago, we, we stayed up till about midnight and he walked me through his formula and I just sat in my chair and I recorded and it was just a, a mind shift of the way to, to, to structure a video with a hook and a hook that, you know, saying, cause I would probably say, so one of the things you need to learn about body language is this. And I would start talking that way and people would be like, okay, next. Right. And I'm like, okay. Or I might start off with a frame, right. Saying, I remember as a kid walking into this place, I was like, okay, next. His formula is hook. And he'd start with something like this. Here's the, the most important thing you're missing when it comes to capturing attention. And it's like, Oh, well, what is that now? I'm, I want to know what this most important thing is. And then he follows it with a sub hook. Mm -hmm. Now that it could be with on zoom in person, or even at social events where people stand there and they don't know what to do with their hands. And so here's what you do. And all of a sudden I'm like, Oh, now he, he hooked me, make sure. And then he broadened it up a little bit, made it a little tighter. Then he's going to, define the problem and then he gives a solution and now magically I've watched the whole video and it's like, okay, so those videos come out today actually. And, um, so if Neil's listening to this, we're going to see how well we do. And we're going to see literally a case study of all the, the hundreds of videos I've done on average of how many views we're going to do it. One following an actual formula that adds instead of frame message tie down, we're going to go hook frame message tie down out of that hook and see what happens according to, to hit to the formula. And, and those are, those are the things that I think are cool. So it comes to Brian, he's embracing all of those different elements and, but it says a lot about him to be that authentic, uh -huh. to be able to do that. It, Neil has his own brand of authenticity too. He does an expert level job of bringing in so many different parts of his life into his public persona, part, parts of his life that I would I, I do shy away from completely of like showing like com incomplete transparency. I mean, I've seen the guy post like his, his W two on, on Instagram and, and shows the car. Um, but he ties that in with the authenticity of, of family and work and how he's helping clients. And I think he knows how to use certain tools and certain types of storytelling to, to, create credibility, um, attract yeah. attention, and then use that credibility and attention to help his clients and, and grow his business. And, uh, he, he uses a lot of things that would just, would, would, I'd be so uncomfortable doing, but, uh, the man does it well and it's working for him. 
Yeah, and he's willing to test. That's mm-hmm. the thing that, and you know what? He's done this within in just just over a year, growing yep. to over eighty thousand followers, getting over a thousand new followers, real followers a day. And so that's the thing that's impressed me most is that he's done this in less than a year, and he's followed a very strict plan of doing it. And so the I, I look at people and say, okay, did you buy any followers? You know, are you you know are you scantily dressed? Are you doing something? You know, the things that I can't do. If I, if I can't replicate what you're doing, I'm not going to follow, I'm not going to listen to your advice And that, not that I don't credit you for it, but if I can't, if I can't replicate it, what, what good is it doing for me? Yep. You're not going to show some skin for us Renee? No. Yeah. No, thanks. I don't think anybody wants to see that. So, um, is Neil going to be part of AmpCon? Yeah, we're going to be doing, uh, he's going to be up there, uh, in terms of how, the, the case study, we're going to show the numbers and what we did because we've been talking about this for about a year. How do we merge? what he's done and what he's been, because we, I talked to him when he was really about 15,000 followers and he's like, this is what I'm doing. He goes, I'm really staying focused yep. on this. And I've watched him really from an integrity standpoint, you know, really follow his method and it's just grown and grown and grown. And I've watched him, you know, ebb and flow with it. And I, he, and I've stayed the same, but I've done higher quality videos, even you know, considered better, better, better content, quote unquote, higher quality content that nobody watches. And so, you know, my self-righteous view of like, well, content is king. It should matter more. Well, great, Renee. Go in your corner, create these great videos that nobody watches or learn and adapt, Renee. <laughs> and so, you yeah. know, and, and, and I say that facetiously, but that's kind of the process that I think a lot of people um, in our era are fighting. You know, we're resisting this and me too. So I've, you, but we, we got to get in the game. We've got to figure out how, and I'm, I'll tell you this, I'm convinced and I'm committed to finding a way to do it that still fits my style, right? My style isn't because he's like, here's the, here's, here's the biggest mistake you're making. And I'm like, do I have to say biggest? Cause I, I go, I'm an intellectual as well. You know, I've, I've, you know, college professors and, and, you know, PhDs that I argue and we will analyze biggest really. Is that the number one? Well, let's show me the research that shows me number one. That's my audience. So I can't say, I, I might be able to say, here's one of the biggest. He goes, no, you can say that. I'm like, okay. So I'm managing my own language within this sort of clickbait temptation environment. And so you've got to have, I think in, as we navigate it too, we have to have that sort of some, some level of integrity filter of how we do it. Because there are people that there's a science to it and they'll leverage the hell out of it with no sense of ethic. So, so is that science going to be something that's a big part of AmpCon? Like how how do we, how do we learn more about this? What can we, how do we check out Neil? Um, what's going on at AmpCon? Oh, we follow Neil at Neil home, N E E L home. Um, follow me at C Renee speak S E E R E N E speak. And then AmpCon A M P C O N dot live is the event March 14th at Caesar's palace. And, uh, it's actually, uh, uh, followed by another event called momentum builder. Uh, that I'm going to be on stage with the Gary V via satellite, but then we've got Ryan holiday, Hal Elrod on my stage. We're going to have um, Bradley. And if you've heard of Bradley, he's uh, a huge, yeah. huge. Uh, yeah. Amazing. Tying it, tying it really back good. to Neil. I, I attended Neil's event last fall. I think that was at Bradley's um, kind of office Offices. studio and uh, out near Vegas. Yeah. Yeah. Brad is Brad's amazing. He's, he is truly one of the most authentic people you'll meet. And, you know, you see him on stage and he's hilarious and people can tell him he's arrogant. He's all that stuff, but he is as humble 
um, when it comes to learning coachable, you know, we, we talked prior to, you know, a lot of his events, he's, he's a huge fan of the Amplify process and figuring it out. And his whole thing is he needs to figure out the tie downs because he's got so many stories and he's like, all right, so what's my tie down? And he comes up with these tie downs. They're just brilliant. He's a brilliant mind too. That's the other thing about him. He played a video for me yesterday. He called me because I want you to watch this video. And I'm like, okay. And I listened to him. He goes, no, you need to watch the whole thing front to back. Put your phone down. And I watched it. And by the end of it, I'm like sitting here with like swelled up tears. I'm like, you wrote this? And it's a video that that plays all words and it plays forward about how, and it and it triggers you in a sort of way of like, God, that's just a really crappy way of looking at things. And then the video stops and it plays backwards and it reads it backwards. And it's like, oh my God. And it's like exactly what I would believe about how, um, you know, it's one of those videos, it's worth watching. It gives you chills because it's brilliant. And I'm like, I go, how many weeks did it take you to write that? He's like, oh, about four hours. I'm like, you, your, your mind is on another level, dude. Like he comes off that way, but he really is brilliant business wise too. So you look at him and the people that he's helped and the people that he has worked with, you know, from, yeah, it's, it's amazing. So he'll be on stage sharing that story. So that's going to be something I think it's going to catch the mortgage industry off guard, uh, being able to, to see and hear from him. Also, Hori and Gracie, who's the founder of the UFC and who I think is one of my, one of, just one of my favorite humans alive, gracious and humble, brilliant as well, has changed the world through martial arts, has um, stopped so many bullies in their tracks, has empowered so many kids, saved women, empowered women, saved lives, and, and uh, it's just, it's amazing. And so he's going to be there. We've got Andrew Paul, who's a, Navy, a former Navy SEAL, that we're specifically, he is also the chief of staff for Jocko Willink and uh, author of, of Extreme Ownership. But uh, Andrew and I are going to talk about um, performing under massive stress, stress, you know, performance and stress. Because, you know, here's a Navy SEAL. Because I, I was thinking, you know what, we talk about this and I talk about Navy SEALs and I've worked with them, but I go, I'm just going to bring one. And Andrew's been a dear friend for a while and, and we, we just had a great conversation about it. So got that and of course some top producer panels with some you know leaders like Tony Blodgett, Robin, Robin Lavasser, Jeremy Forcier, and um, some other really great people. That's excellent. And uh, I, I think for our audience, R- Renee is being a little bit too humble about all the ways he's bringing influence expertise to, to people and professionals across this industry and across a lot of different industries. He is also preparing to to launch his book, Amplify Your Influence. Um, and our, our Housing Wire readers should stay tuned. We're going to have Renee back on, uh, I believe, on a, a webinar in a month a month or so and uh, and share some of the the concepts from Amplify Your in- Influence and, and also give our members a, a special opportunity to get early access to the book. Renee, thank you so much for taking time today. R- really cool to hear about what you're working on, the way you're helping professionals tell their story, build their brand, be better personally and professionally. I know you've helped me and uh, I'm excited to see you help so many people every day. It's been an honor and this was fun. A new conversation. I loved it. This was fun. Uh, I appreciate you Clayton and, and all the work you're doing. It was an honor. The honor was mine. Bam. Now that is a wrap of this week's episode of the housing news podcast. Do me a huge favor and go to iTunes and rate this show. And if you leave a comment, you better tune in next week because you might get a shout out. Thank you. Thank you.